This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, I think we were going to start at 4.05, but here's what I want to do. Um, before, before we go into the last segment here, I wanted, because I've been wanting to do this and we always run out of time, but I want to take some questions. Maybe you guys have some questions. And I know that a lot of you have come up to me to get some clarification on certain things, but does anybody have any, any questions that you want to ask before we jump into the next one? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Can we get somebody to use the mic and take it around? So that, because they'll be recording it. Let me just, yeah, just hand this to that brother here. I guess I could have done that, but. Uh, so this is my first time, this is my first class here. I was just wondering, okay. is uh, playing in any type of sport something that God wouldn't approve of? Um, uh, you mean, when you say any kind of sport, what exactly do you mean? Like a kickball team. What's that? A kickball team. If you're like yeah, here and I talked a little bit. Were you in the last session? No, you weren't. Okay, so I talked about that. But basically, the overall bottom line element is is whatever I'm doing causing me to strive for superiority or dominance over someone else. If I can play a game without that, fine. But organized competition, really, there's no way to do that. If it's just a group of friends getting together and play, play a little ball, that, that doesn't usually promote that type of a mentality. But if it's an organized league, it typically tends to lean towards that, the superiority over someone else. So basically, I talked about the fact that we want to have, we want to strive for superiority, superiority and victory over ourselves rather than others. That's the principle of the kingdom of God. Make sense? So um, you'd have to listen to the whole talk, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the bottom line. Yes, brother. Let's, uh, let's have the mic for him. Is it on? Can you... Make sure it's on at the bottom there. There you go. It's, it's blinking now. Okay. So I guess just based on uh, the response of um, not wanting to have anyone, uh, you know, better than anyone else, or you know, not no one wanting to you know overcome anyone else in competition, is that I guess where participation trophies trophies come from? Well, kind of, but I I'm not a fan of those either. Because that goes to the extreme on the other end, where I don't have to work hard, I don't have to strive, I don't have to, you know, push myself, but I still get a trophy. We can go 0 and 10, and I still get a trophy. You know, like we can have a not ever have any kind of victory, and I still get a trophy. So I, I'm I'm not a fan of that on the other end either. And let, let me let me clarify something that what I'm not what I'm not saying is that we should be weak, you know, like, you know, pansies where we, where we don't strive, where we're not, 
where we're not seeking excellence. We want to seek excellence. We want to strive for the very best. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Nothing wrong with that at all. But it comes when, it, when my striving for excellence comes at the expense of my fellow man. That's where the line is drawn. Make sense? So God wants us to strive. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be leaders. Those kind of things are, are good, okay? But He wants us to use them for that which is positive. Um, and so I don't want to... Um, I want to be uplifting my brother to be the very best that he can be while he is also uplifting me to be the very best that I can be. That's the principle of the kingdom of heaven. It makes sense? So we want to be the best that we can be, but we're not the mentality. There's a two different mentalities of being the best that I can be and striving to be the best that someone else can be. So if I strive and I work hard and I labor, and I practice, and I train, and I do the very best that I can, and I'm the worst guy on the team, can I still have satisfaction? Yeah, because I have strived to be the very what? Best that I can be. Make sense? And I may not be the best at some game, but I might, be, I might do better at other things. I might be a better piano player. Not, I'm not saying a better piano player than someone else, but I might be better at piano playing myself than I am at playing some sport. Make sense? And so, it also boils back to striving to find the talents that God has given me and excelling in those and using those for His glory. Rather than using them to uplift myself, using them to uplift Him. Does that make sense? I know sometimes it feels like in some things it's hard to know where to draw the line, but God will lead you. Um, but the principles that I gave you are, are pretty, pretty consistent. Does that answer your question a little bit? Uh, yeah. yeah? Are you sure? Okay, good. All right. Any, we'll take one or two more before we get started here. Yes. Where's the mic here? Yeah, bring the mic too. You got, are you guys confused about the things I presented? Okay, good. You just don't want to accept it. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> um, so, uh, <coughs> but I'm happier when I did. Um, so as a young man, I've, always, I've grown up in sports. I was very, also very competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and at a certain point, I did stop playing sports for the mm -hmm. same reason that I thought God might not want me to be so competitive. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I thought to myself, you know, God gave me the talent of having all these abilities to perform and to do That's all right. these things that most people cannot do. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, how can I share my talents to help mm -hmm. um, my church or the youth in That's my exactly church? Right. And I never really could understand how to do that without uh, breaking, you know, what, what seemed to be... Look, I'll give, you, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a pastor in my conference that wanted to do an outreach in the community. And they decided to do a triathlon for kids. So they recruited 20 kids, and they went around to the local businesses, and they uh, had the businesses sponsor that a kid would go through 10 weeks of physical training, and once they go through the training, then they would complete the triathlon, and if they completed the triathlon, they get a free bike. And the bike was sponsored by the local business, okay? So they, they recruited these 20 kids from the community 
And they all came out, and, and they had to come like twice a week. They had certain requirements. They had to make a certain number of trainings. They couldn't bail, but there was no competition. The main thing was that they, they knew what their time was, and they were striving to beat their own time. Nobody was, there was no first, second, or third place. It was just striving to beat my own time. Well, at the end of that, those 10 weeks, they had built relationships with those families. They had the triathlon, so they're still using their athletic ability, but they're using it to strengthen the morals and the character of the kids. And they, in, in the trainings, they would always have spiritual lessons that they would incorporate in there, and et cetera, right? And so those kids had spiritual morals implanted in them. They were learning to cooperate with each other and help each other, and they were getting physically fit. And at the end of it, they got a free bike, right? And so when you think about it and you pray about it, God can give you ways in which you can use your talents, even if it's... I mean, I mean, the reality is this. How many of you play piano? How many of you play violin? How many of you play some kind of instrument? You could take that instrument and you can uh, go out and play heavy metal with it. That's not to the glory of God, right? So anything that God gives you, you can use for good or for bad. So what I'm not saying is that athletic ability is bad. I'm saying competition is not good, okay? But athletic ability can still be used for the glory of God, amen? And if you use it in a right context, in a right way, like that church did with that. Now, once they did that, I, w- I preached in that church just a couple, just about a month ago. It's your church. Where's, uh, oh, they're gone. I don't, maybe they didn't come back. Um, Anyway, there was a couple in here. It was their church. And there was a family who the boy went through the triathlon, and the whole family was baptized because of that triathlon. And the dad just became a deacon in the church. And so we can use athletics for God's glory. I firmly believe that. But how we do it, the the structure we give it, we need to follow God's principles, and he'll bless it. Make sense? All right. One more question before we jump in. Any other questions? Let's see, John. Yes, brother. We have the mic. Yeah. I just want to make sure that the questions get recorded. Yeah, just real quick before I make my question, uh, what you just said was absolutely true uh, about finding that other outlet. Because, yeah, I got into the, the marathon and the triathlon thing because, yeah, I was top athlete all the colleges looking at me for basketball and uh, same thing my question is uh, and many of us probably already know it we often look at certain abilities that we can do either on the field or on the court as being gifts but is everything we do on the field or the court considered a gift there you go is everything is everything using that I would do on a, com- a field or a court of competition, would everything I'd be doing there, using the gift that God gave me, be for the glory of God? So it's not just about using the gift, it's about using the, because I can use, I mean, like Metallica, Guns N' Roses, hip-hop artists, they all have talent, right? That's a God-given talent that they can sing and play and etc. But are they using it for the glory of God? Are they using it for the very highest ideal of his purposes, right? They're not. 
That's the question. So it's not just do I have the, if I have the gift, then if I have the gift of athleticism, then I must compete because God gave me that gift. No, if he gave me the gift of athleticism, I can use it in a different way that brings him much more glory, right? And someone, someone asked me on the break, they said, well, what about, you know, if I say to someone, you know, that if, if, I, if I'm successful in my sport, then I give the glory to God. Well, what about the guy who also loves God, who's the worst guy on the team? Does that mean that God didn't help him for some reason or another? You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful with that. We have to be thankful to use the gift in a way that can uplift everyone else around me while at the same time bringing God glory. Make sense? It's not that hard, is it? Is it hard? You guys are still so quiet. All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, we'll take some more questions later, but I need, a, I need somebody to keep time for me because I, my phone died here. Can you do that for me? What time is it now? 4.13 already. And it's, we have to be done at 5? Or like 5.30? 5.30, you said? I'm just kidding. All right. <clears throat> well, let's pray together. And um, this last segment, I have just a little bit left that I wanted to show you from the previous. Then we're going to go into the one. Remember I said, how many of you were here? How many of you were not here in the last session? Okay, I talked about where we're going. And I asked the question, man, most of you were not in here. Uh, you, you need to hear the previous presentations. And I hate to say this to you, and I didn't want to say it before, but this will probably be, I don't want to say that. It could be the most boring. But I'm trying to try not to make it boring, okay? But how many of you knew that our world church actually has a stance and an official voted statement on competition? How many of you knew that? It does. And that's what we're going to explore in this session. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Precious Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We ask your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our footsteps. We ask your blessing to be with us. And we praise your name that you have brought us into this place. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first session, I shared my testimony. I used to play college football, so you'll have to download that if you weren't here. And we've talked about various elements. Do sports build character? Do sports build self-worth? Do they encourage teamwork? Um, and et cetera, et cetera. And what we didn't say, just so that all of you know, is that we're not saying it's a sin to play ball. Okay? I made that very clear in the last session. What we are saying is that when there's a competitive spirit that leads me to strive for superiority or dominance over someone else as my brother or sister in Christ, that creates a great challenge, right? That's the main point I want you to leave with. All right, so this is where we left off, and we said that God has invested his entire existence to save us and restore us in the image of man. Has he done this? He has, right? If God is doing this, wouldn't we also want to do the same? We want to cooperate with whatever He is trying to do for us to restore us back into His image. How many of you think that's a good idea? Right? Why would we even think of doing anything that would damage that? You can read Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. I'm just going to read that real quick. I think it's a very powerful text in the New Testament. One of the most powerful texts. And uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse uh, 11 and on. Going the wrong way here. All right, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We live in an age unlike any other. How many of you would agree with that? And we need a focus. We need a sobriety that only can be given to us as a gift from God. And we don't want to do anything that's going to compromise that. How many of you would agree with that? Amen? We want to have that experience. So, you know, when we look into different cultures that are not Western, um, this was that kind of the conclusion of the last one, but I didn't get to it in time. But we look at other cultures and we look at other, you know, lifestyles and, and, and practices. And when you, if you saw this guy walking down the street here in Phoenix, how many of you would probably take a second look? You'd say, man, that's not, that's a bit odd. That's not a common practice, right? And we think that this would be a bit strange, but somehow we think that that is perfectly normal. Are you with me? I mean, if you, these, there's, there's some, I mean, I know they're doing the audio uh, recording here, but there's some extreme sports fans that are having all kinds of wild things. Now, we would think that that kind of religious practice where they're putting the, the little um, diamonds and things all over the face and painting the face, we would find that strange in a Western culture. But we think that guys who would dress like that as sports fans, we think nothing about it. We think that it's just like normal, right? Or people that are maybe engaged in voodoo, but we think guys that would do that kind of a thing, perfectly all right. How about that? There's a voodoo witch doctor. We think that's strange and odd, and it is, really, when you look at the culture of heaven. But we think that is perfectly acceptable. We cheer it on. We praise it. We think, man, those guys are like really dedicated there's another witch doctor we would think, man, that is like just creepy. I don't want to be around that. But then we think that, you know, this kind of behavior is acceptable right here. The guy shaking his fist while his whole body is painted. This uh, is odd right here, but that's perfectly normal. We just say he's a very dedicated. And, you know, we, we look at these types of of arrangements, this is Stonehenge. How many of you know what Stonehenge is? It's the primitive place of worship by primitive people. And you know that they actually wonder how they built those, but there is a guy that built a whole Stonehenge with 20-ton blocks by himself. He figured out how to do it. There's a video on YouTube, very interesting. But anyway, I'll ask you this question. Is it really any different, this right here, than that right there? What do you think? Not really that different, is it? It's just a different age, just a different style, just a different culture, but it's the same bottom line. What do you think? Yeah? I mean, if, you, if you're in here for the first time, you're thinking like, what is this guy talking about? But you've had to have been here for all of it to see what I'm talking about. This is a stadium for the audio recording, a stadium full of uh, football fans, baseball stadium, really no different than the ancient... Um, gatherings of worship. 
And, you know, I see people that will go out and they'll endure the harshest weather conditions. And, you know, these people here are in a blizzard. I mean, they're all freezing cold. And I often, I mean, people will sit out in the pouring down rain. But, you know, when it sprinkles, when the church is going to do outreach, and it sprinkles, or it even might look like it's going to sprinkle, or it looks like it might sprinkle like next week, the church members are like, what? You know, we can't go out there, Pastor. I mean, you wouldn't, God wouldn't expect that from us. He wouldn't expect us to risk our health to go out there. Yet I've seen it true that the same church member goes and sits and watches their kid play soccer in the pouring down rain. Now, you can call me legalistic or you can call me whatever, but that is a problem. That is a misapplication of your priorities. I'm not saying that we have to go out in every blizzard and every rainstorm to do outreach. I'm not suggesting that we do that. But when we can do one, and we find without any reservation, and we find every excuse to not do the other, we really have to search our hearts. What do you think? And we really have to ask ourselves, where are our priorities? Okay? And, you know, I saw this little thing. I mean, people will sit in the scorching heat. And I saw this little mime in, that, in red. It says, if church members were this faithful, people sitting at some kind of game and they're just like covered in snow and it's just a blizzard, if church members were this faithful. Amen? And praise God, there are some that are. Amen? But how many of you think that we could all use a little more faithfulness? Yeah? not trying to make us feel guilty. We just need to see the reality of the issues. Yeah? We just need to really see and where we are in our condition. When Jesus looks at you, is that what you want Him to see? Or is that what you want Him to see? Do you want your face to reveal those eyes or those eyes right there? What do you think this afternoon? How many think we got some heart searching to do? Amen? Amen. Yeah. I'm going to switch over my presentation here to my last one. All right. I want to read this statement. Uh, very interesting. Jeff Beacom, uh, a little document called The Clash of the Kingdoms, the Kingdom of Self and the Kingdom of God. Notice what he says here. He says, competition is an integral part of life in Western cultures. True or false? We talked about this earlier. From, from elementary school, from birth even, we're competing. Even people are comparing babies to each other. They're saying, man, that baby's hideous, but look at that baby, it's so cute. I mean, it's just ingrained from birth, and the kids are just like, where's my bottle? And everybody's making, talking about how cute one is and how ugly the other one is, and they're just thinking, where's my milk, Right? But it becomes ingrained within us. It has been accepted and celebrated as a very necessary ingredient for a successful life. But based upon the evidence that we've looked at, is that true or false? It's false. It's false. 
However, competition ultimately is self-seeking and involves covetousness, which leads to envy, which results in all kinds of strife and war. And notice what he says here. As we progress in these times, there is a monumental clash coming between these two kingdoms as they compete for the souls of humanity. As far as I know, I think this guy's not an Adventist. But he recognizes that this element of competition is, is striving for the souls of humanity. Can you believe that? It's crazy. What do you think? I want to show you a little bit the history of, <clears throat> of modern sports. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But way back, I mean, competitive sports have been an element of culture all the way back to biblical times. In fact, we have records of wrestling being practiced by the Sumerians in Mesopotamia after the flood of Noah. I mean, that's how far back that kind of thing goes. Northern tribes introduced games and sports into Greece by at least 1000 BC, and out of that came what were the Greeks known for? The Olympic Games. Guess where they got the concept for the Olympic Games? They got it from where? The northern tribes, which were what kind of people? What kind of people were they? Were they like elevated, cultured people? What were they? You guys can talk. It's really okay. <laughs> they were barbarians. I remember one time my son, uh, he was younger, he was about three, and he was climbing up on the table. And I said, son, get off the table. We don't, we don't get on the table. He said, well, why, why not? I said, because we're not barbarians. And then later, uh, I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. And he says, Papa, you shouldn't be doing that. We're not barbarians. <laughs> and he reminded me, right? So anyway, Alexander the Great spread an interest in sports through the Greek Empire, through the Olympic Games, right? They were, the Olympic Games were sacred games staged in a sacred place. Notice the word what? Sacred. This is a historical quote. At a sacred festival, so a sacred game, sacred place, sacred festival, they were a what? Religious act. That's interesting. In honor of deity, those who took part did so in order to serve their God. So somebody says, well, you know, I use my talents for the glory of God, like we talked about before, and that's what they were doing in the ancient pagan games. And I, we talked about that, that I don't think that that's the type of glory God wants to receive from us. It's kind of like, like when Cain and Abel brought their, their offerings to the Lord, right? God accepted whose? Abel's, and he rejected whose? Why did he accept Abel's? Because it was according to his instructions. Were the vegetables that Cain brought, were vegetables a bad thing? Well, of course not. In fact, the vegetables that Cain brought probably were the very best that he had, right? And so they were good vegetables. He probably didn't take the rotten ones and try to offer to God, even though sometimes we do that, don't we? We try to take the rottenness of our worst stuff and offer it up to God as a sacrifice. But God refused it because it wasn't what he asked for, right? So we may try to offer God something that he refuses that we think is good, but God says that's not either what I asked for or that's not what's going to bring me the, best, the greatest glory, right? So they 
those who took part did so to serve their God. Now, the Romans continued with these games, except they got even more violent. What did they start doing? They started, you know, sacrificing people and crucifying Christians and throwing them to lions. Notice this, the Romans were fond of their own games, especially gladiatorial contests. Julius Caesar built a special amphitheater for shows in which animals were pitted against men or other animals. Later, the Colosseum was dedicated with a hundred days of games. How many of you have seen this in history? There's movies about it, the Circus Maximus, right? <clears throat> the Circus Maximus, by the fourth century, was continually filled with 385,000 spectators. What's the record for a college football game? It's like 140,000 or something. These people were rejoicing. They were gathered together rejoicing and cheering, watching people being shredded apart, losing their lives, and they were cheering it. I have a question for you. For us to gather in a similar style coliseum and watch people, maybe they're not killing people, but people have died and people are severely injured all the time and they're knocking the fire out of each other, is it not the same thing as what they were doing? We wouldn't think about going and, 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 and watching lions tear somebody apart, but we'll sit and watch it on TV and think it's not the same. But is it the same? It's the same. Now watch this. This is very interesting. Very interesting. Watch this. The, uh, this comes from the book called Sports in the Western World. The only concerted, sustained, and ultimately effective voice of opposition to the Roman games came from a minority group. And who were they? The early Christians. The early Christians were opposed not just to the ones where lions were tearing people apart, but even the Olympic Games, early Christians were against. Why? Because they understood that those games were elevating ego and pressing down my fellow man. Make sense? They abhorred the paganism, the cruel bloodshed, the worldly associations which that such activities entailed. Now, this comes from the book Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia, um, and page 654. It's a very interesting book. The early church practice. Notice this. The leaders of the early church, Christian churches condemned the forms of amusement that associate themselves with pagan religion, which controverted the Christian ethic. Tatian to, uh, to, uh, to Tullerin and Clement denounced the games and similar amusements because of idolatry, immodesty, and brutality. <clears throat> so I addressed this earlier, but this confirms what I said, that did Paul endorse competitive sports? Was he endorsing that in the passages he wrote about running the race? No, he wasn't, was he? Because <clears throat> the early church condemned it and they rejected it. So this is very interesting because <clears throat> the Olympic Games were actually abolished as pagan by the church in 394. When Constantine took control, he kind of, he kind of put it down because even though he was a watered-down Christian, he, they kind of started drawing to an end. But notice this. But they were revived <coughs> in modern times in what year? 
1896. That's when the Olympic Games that we have now, the Summer Winter Olympics, that's when those games were revived in modern times, 1896. This is the first one, pictures, actual pictures of it. Sports and athletics were widely condemned by many religious denominations in America until the latter part of the 19th century. About the time of the revival of Olympics. So what's the point that I'm making about this? Here it is. Many people say, well, Adventists were so legalistic and were so stiff about all kinds of things. Sabbath keeping, jewelry, all those kind of things. But did you know that in the 1800s, every denomination condemned jewelry? It's not a Seventh-day Adventist practice. It's a Christian practice. But towards the end of the 1800s, they kind of slid away from it. In fact, in the 1800s, in the Methodist church, you would not even be allowed to become a member in the church if you wore a wedding band. Now, some people say, well, that's extreme, but, you know, you have your own conviction on it, but I'm just explaining it to you. But gradually, every denomination began to get looser, more and more loose on all kinds of issues from theology to lifestyle to daily living until we are where we are today where, you know, Christians think it's okay to just go out to the bar and get drunk and go to church the next day, right? So, so there's a long list of items that have been compromised by most Protestant churches and most denominations and when you look at the evidence, competitive sports actually falls into one of those categories. Very fascinating and very interesting. Most people don't know this history. I didn't know it until I was preparing for this. I mean, I had these talks before, but this is a new segment for me. Very fascinating. And so the question is, what happened to the outcry of God's people in 1896? And after, as they did in the early church during the Roman games, what happened? The church became more and more what? It became more and more compromised. Are you with me? I see some conviction on some faces. I don't know. So those people were crying out, but when, but when the games were revived, most of the churches were also crying out in 1896, but it wasn't crying out against, it was crying out in praise and attendance. Like many other truths I just mentioned, this Protestant denominations gave up the early church stance on competitive sports in the late 19th century. And there's really, that I know of, very few and prominently one that still holds fast to that biblical position of the early times. And that's our church today, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So you can, you can view the stance of the church as, you know, like too hard or too narrow or too whatever. But the reality is, is that our church holds the position that the people who were closest to Christ held. Are you with me? Now, in 1988, the General Conference, how many of you are familiar with the General Conference? When the General Conference meets together for its world session every five years, it votes policies and, and, and business that helps the function of the church and does the General Conference have authority, yes or no? 
It does. Why does it have authority? Because the General Conference as a world church is the highest form of authority on this earth as far as, you know, people are concerned. Of course, the Bible is the highest authority. But the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as a, at the general conference level, has never voted an apostate doctrine or a, any kind of apostasy. Now, there may be policies that people disagree with, and that's understandable, but it is not apostatized at the world level. Does that make sense? So, therefore, it's still invested with authority because it's still invested in the Word of God. Are the 28 fundamental beliefs biblical, yes or no? They are. So, therefore, does the general conference have authority as a body? It does. So it actually voted a statement on activities with elements of competition. Now, many young people are confused because they'll come to a seminar like this and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you're speaking against it, but my university or my academy is organizing competitive sports with other schools. How many of you would be saying that you've had that experience before? And the question is, where does the church really stand? Well, I'm about to show you where it really stands. Amen? So that you can go back and you can say, this is what the world church has voted. Now, I'm not, what I'm not saying, and please do not misunderstand, is that you need to go start a dogfight somewhere and, 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 and create some kind of big, massive problems and get yourself kicked out of the school or whatever. You have to use very much tact and wisdom. And the, the very best thing that you can do is to not participate yourself and create alternative activities to invite people to, rather than trying to tackle administration, okay? Work through the process, but our church, this should not be a confusing issue for our church. Amen? Because we have a statement on it, and let's, let's go through the statement. You ready? All right. Um, I'm just going to, I've just pretty much, I didn't do all of it, but I copied and pasted the very best elements, okay? What, what's our time? What? we got 20 minutes? Perfect. All right. God's plan, just this kind of the overview, a better way. The ideal is cooperation and unity in God's church, as illustrated in 1 Corinthians 12, where the parts of the church, as symbolized by the parts of the body, work together for the good of the whole. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's God's ideal. Amen? There is sympathetic cooperation. There is no what? Rivalry. That is the one of the fundamental building blocks of the church of God. Whether it's Seventh-day Adventists or any other denomination, that ought to be our building blocks for faith. Amen? This thing always wants to uh, do this. Let me make sure of them. Okay, here we go. A balanced approach to life. <clears throat> Notice this. I mean, these, these words are very profound to me. Seventh-day Adventists believe that man is an integrated being whose physical, mental, spiritual, and social needs are interrelated and interdependent. They are concerned with the total development of each individual, feeling that every person needs consistent and appropriately planned physical exercise. So do we need exercise? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> to meet this need at the turn of the century, Seventh-day Adventist institutions generally located in rural areas offered ample opportunities for physical exercise. What were those opportunities? Huh? They were agriculture and work, right? Physical manual labor, okay? Today, institutions operate in ever more crowded environments with shrinking opportunities for useful work as a means of recreation. Do you think that's by design? 
of the enemy? It is. I mean, we live in concrete jungles and it's very hard. It's almost hard to help people anymore. I mean, I could go off on that. But anyway, in addition to the shift from a rural to a urban society, occupations <coughs> demanding physical activity have decreased, tensions have multiplied, and leisure time is increasingly dominated by sedentary entertainment such as radio, television, and movies. In order to compensate for these changes, a careful, balanced approach to physical activity must be encouraged in the churches, schools, churches, and institutions. In other words, what it's saying is, is that the temptation to move away from God's ideal has increased as time comes closer to an end. Does that make sense? That the conditions and the environments of the world today are not such that they promote God's ideal opportunity that will be the greatest blessing for us. So as a church, we have to be ever more careful to make sure that we intentionally do what is going to be the very best. Does that make sense? How many of you think that's pretty easy? Yeah? All right. In any church or school situation involving organized physical activities, the results can be beneficial if the following ideals prevail. Cooperativeness, helpfulness, selflessness, a cordial spirit, playing for enjoyment rather than only to win, and observing the rules in spirit and not merely in letter. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound good and wholesome? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Ellen White quote, Recreation, when it, in its true name, recreation, tends to strengthen and build up. That's what recreation actually means. It's supposed to be the word recreation. It will not foster selfishness, rivalry, hostility, strife, love for dominance, love of pleasure, or unwholesome excitement. Cooperation always will be a greater benefit. Look at this picture. You see it? You got a bunch of fish swimming the other way towards the shark, right? I mean, think that teamwork is often much better, right? <clears throat> yeah? And, you know, these two dogs are working together to get the prize, those hamburgers up there. All right, so here's the next section, the purpose and goals of church activities. Notice this. If you're, a, if you're not wanting to practice the Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle, then it's not necessary for you to adhere to this. But if you're going to say, I want God's ideal for my life, this is God's ideal. All the programs and activities of the church should contribute to the development of a Christ-like character and effective witnessing. How many can say amen? amen. Right? So in other words... Everything that's organized by the church should be so designed carefully that it strengthens my character in Christ rather than pulling me further away from Him. Are you with me? And it will increase my opportunity to witness to others, like the triathlon, the kids' triathlon, or, um, where they train the kids, where it helps with witnessing. They shall foster attainment of the following. This thing is... Uh, why it does this. You'll forgive me. Where are we here? Here we go. Ah, there we go. Uh, the development of Christian love and unselfish consideration. Mutual respect among believers. Emancipation from selfish rivalry. The development of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. These are things we've kind of already said. 
provision for an implementation of wholesome social relationships, inspiration for and direction toward the acceptable worship of God. In other words, we talked about that whatever activity you engage in, if it causes you to have a decreased interest in spiritual things, is that problematic? It's problematic, very problematic. Number seven, the encouragement of individuals to work toward the highest and best for which they are capable in all worthy pursuits. This is kind of a encapsulation of what we said. The development of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So in other words, striving for excellence to be the best that I can be, not worrying about what anyone else is doing. When Peter was following Jesus and John was trailing behind, and Peter said, what about this man? What did Jesus say to him? He said, why do you worry about him? you got your own self to worry about, right? Or was that John that was following? I don't, it was John that was following, and he said that about Peter. Thank you. It's been a long day, right? And so he said, don't worry about him. Worry about who? Worry about yourself. Activation of the enormous human resources for soul winning. Specific situations. Here is some uh, recommendations to minimize, minimize the use of rivalrous competition as a motivational tool within the church. Okay, ready? Here's recommendations from the church to minimize those things. Number one, exposure to commercialized, highly competitive activities should not be encouraged. In other words, should the church sponsor a youth trip to the Super Bowl? No. No, it shouldn't. Would it be a good idea to take the youth to a hockey game in town? No, it wouldn't be a good idea. There's plenty of other things to do that's not going to create that type of a spirit in them. Number two, satisfying alternative activities which avoid unwholesome competitive involvement should be sought. So in other words, how many of you can, can know and would confess that there are many alternatives to those types of activities? You would know that, right? There's so many things that everyone would enjoy. And the development of incentives for individual action, participation, and personal advancement of the work of the church, the program shall be so structured that individuals will relate to a standard of performance rather than a system which involves interpersonal or rivalry. In other words, in Michigan, we, have, we used to have what's called uh, Bible Bowl. How many of you have heard of that? And you would compete with each other. And the conference recognized that that was creating a lot of competition, and, and I think even the NAD, and they moved it to uh, Pathfinder Bible Experience, where you're not competing with, there's first, second, and third, and everyone's going to get first, second, or third, and you're competing with yourself. You achieve a certain number of points, and you get first place. You achieve a, another amount of points, you get second place. And anything below second place, the line for second is third place. So it's not that everyone gets a trophy, but you're striving to be the best you can be. You want that first place. There's nothing wrong with wanting that first place, but it's not at the expense of someone else. Someone else can also get the first place, and if they don't, that's okay. Does that make sense? All right, there's not only one first place. As many people as earn that mark can get first place, right? That's a beautiful thing. Number four, while, receiving, while giving recognition to the efforts and achievements of groups, it's important that it shall be done in such a manner as to give God the glory and the success rather than the individuals. Oh, let me back up here. 
A program or activity shall be arranged to provide some level of success for every individual, helping to preserve individuality and identity. Do we want to crush out the individuality of someone under the foot of someone else who's better than them? No, we want to encourage individuality. Each participant would receive some sort of recognition. All right, let's keep going. I don't want to be too technical with all this. But the objectives of physical activities to improve the body, to achieve mental development, to develop the character of self-discipline. Let me back up to that one. Let me show you this. One, two, three. Self-discipline, self-reliance, emotional control, respect for the rights of others, and moral and ethical conduct based on Christian ideals. Do those things sound like self-discipline? Self-reliance, it doesn't mean like trusting myself, but it just means believing I can do it. Emotional control. Do those things sound like things that weaklings would attain? Yes or no? No. Do you have to be, do you have to be tough and determined to accomplish those goals? Yes or no? So once again, God is not wanting us to just be meek wallflowers. He's wanting us to strive for greatness, but in a certain context, right? In a certain context. All right, um, proper experience. I'm going to skip past some of this because you can read this document. I'm going to give you the place to get it. Um, Because a lot of this stuff is stuff I've already said in other capacities. There it goes again. It just, it just goes blank. Okay, here we go. Now, this is what I want to get to. In, someone asked me about intramural and intervarsity. Here's the statement. Intramural means within what? Within walls. Okay? And such activities are confined to and among individuals of each specific church, school, or institution. In other words, we have like a Frisbee, a Frisbee league or whatever. When properly conducted, they would develop character, physical fitness, and wholesome group interaction. So are intramural sports necessarily bad? If they're done the right way, right? To ensure the wholesome benefits that may be derived from an organized program of intramural and recreational activity, the following objectives are recommended. Watch this. A committee should be selected that can you can put together that program properly based upon principles of God's Word. They should be aware of the participants' need for a balanced program, which would re include recreation from sources other than organized sports. In other words, we're not going to stop the school work program to go play competitive, to go play sports. Does that make sense? You know, L. White makes a comment that there was a school that ceased their manual work program, their training program, they built tennis courts and all that, and she says they should plow those things into the ground and plant a garden there. <laughs> Why? Because it had taken over the true intentions of what it, it should have been. It became more of a priority than it should have been. All right, number three, excesses in team and crowd reaction should be avoided, and qualified officials should be in charge to ensure a wholesome spirit of participation. Team participants should be rotated periodically to de-emphasize rivalry. In other words, we're not 
trying to win, we're just trying to play. There's a difference in trying to win and trying to play. Make sense? If I can play for the love of the sport. Now, look at this. That was intramural sports, which would be teams playing together. But what about inter-school sports, where my university is going to play another university? What about that? The Seventh-day Adventist Church is opposed to inter-school league play, commonly known as varsity athletics. The church doesn't support it. The World Church voted it. And its educational system. The major rationale for this is the inherent hazards of competitive rivalry have the potential to be exaggerated in inter-organizational events. The commitments of time, personnel, and finances are disproportionate to the benefit. And so what does the church say about schools having teams to go play against each other? What does the church say? No. Now, do they say that to be mean and stiff and legalistic? Or do they base that upon good, solid Bible principles that we have shared throughout this course of the seminar? Which one? Yeah, right? So here were the conclusions of the document. Christians should function with the highest motives in their quest for athletic excellence. Amen? We, should stri- we can strive for athletic excellence. Nothing wrong with that. Occasional friendship games or matches involving institutions at joint social gatherings are not classified as intramural or interschool athletics. In other words, if I want to get some guys or girls together and go play softball or flag football or whatever, nothing wrong with that at all, as long as I maintain my Christian dignity during the game. If I can't, then even though others may be going, but I personally can't control myself, what would probably be the best decision for me? To, to, to not go. Certainly to not participate, but not even to probably go. Five minutes, we're going to make it. All right. Oh, this thing is about to be the death of me. All right. Um, okay, here we go. Last couple slides. All people have talents, some more, some less. True or false? True. God expects faithfulness and service regardless regardless of talents or pay. So, So God doesn't think more of the guy that has ten talents than the guy that has two. God doesn't think more of that person than He does the other guy. But what He does think more of is those who will be faithful in whatever they have. Make sense? If, if God is looking for faithfulness, not, you know, I mean, He's looking for excellence, but, he, but He's not looking that I, 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 I'm, I'm doing better than someone else. He's looking that I'm faithful in whatever I have. If I'm the guy that has ten talents, and He gives me those ten talents, and I'm faithful in those, then He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. If I'm the guy that has two talents, and I'm faithful with all my might in those two talents, He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, with the same love, the same warmth, the same joy, as He does with the guy who has ten. Are you with me? So the mindset of of this competition where because the guy has 10, he's better than me, that is not 
is something that originated in God's kingdom, nor is it a part of it now, nor will it ever be. It's something that originated with Lucifer in heaven, and he's brought that same spirit into this world. Yes? Even though talents are distributed differently, God expects individuals to develop what they have the best, and they will be given responsibility according to their what? Faithfulness. God is not going to give you responsibility according necessarily to your talents, but according to your faithfulness. Because it's not about what you're doing anyway, it's about what He's doing in you. Amen? Remember I said this earlier, blessed is the man that works for God, but blessed is the man or woman who can get God to work for them. And God works for us when we're faithful. The Scripture reminds us, whatever you're doing, put your whole heart into it as if you're doing it for the Lord and not man. Amen? So this statement was voted at the annual council of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists in 1988. So it is a standing official document, and you can find it on the website of the official church website, Adventist.org. How many of you had any idea that the church had any kind of statement on this? If you go to that website, you'll find statements on all kinds of issues. If you go to the church manual, you'll find statements on all kinds of issues that somehow seem to be confusing for people today, but that really aren't confusing at all. I'm going to end with a statement from Perry Buffington. Notice this. He says, Which works better, competition or cooperation? The answer, without equivocation, is cooperation. Although most people are surprised by this, the scientists have repeatedly verified it in hundreds of studies since the late 1800s. Yet big business, the educational system, the healthcare community, and most parents <clears throat> continue to encourage competition, almost totally neglecting the power of cooperation. Um, and he, sa- he goes on and says, um, no, 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 that's not the right one. This one. None of these groups realizes that unabated competition may be costing billions of dollars in sales and overall decrease in human achievement. Furthermore, researchers have shown that too much competition may, have, may cause poor health. Yet we continue to hold the chair's belief that competition uh, is the royal road to success. If, in fact, competition brings out the beast in us, then research demonstrates that cooperation surely brings out the what? The best in us. This finding has been held in virtually every occupation, skill, or behavior tested. For instance, scientists who consider themselves cooperative tend to have more published articles than their competitive colleagues. Cooperative business people have higher salaries. From elementary grades to college, cooperative students have higher grade point averages. Personal directors who work together have fewer job vacancies to fill. And not surprisingly, cooperation increases what? Creativity. Unfortunately, most people are not taught these cooperative skills. But I want to propose to you today something powerful that the prophet knew before Perry. Amen? Science, Evan White knew 100 plus years ago what science is figuring out today. She says some of the most popular amusements like football and boxing become schools of brutality. They're developing the same characteristics as the games of ancient Rome, the love of domination, the pride of mere brute force, the reckless disregard for life are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralize 
that is appalling. She knew what science only recently discovered long, long, long ago. How many of you can say amen today? So a hard question for you today. Do you want the best to come out of you? Or the beast to come out of you? Which one do you want? If you don't have the best, which is what God offers to you today, then there's, no, there's nothing else. You're going to have the beast. Right? And we know about the beast, don't we? We know all about the beast. Right? How many of you want the best? Are you willing to pursue from God the best? Are you willing to give Him what is not the best so that He can give you the best? Are you willing to exchange the bad for the good, the good for the better, and the better for the best? And even sometimes the best for the very best. Amen? Are you willing to do that? How many of you want to say, Lord, I want the best? Yeah? But are you willing to give Him whatever's in your hand so that you can have the best? Are you willing to do that today? There might be something right now that God is convicting your heart about and He's saying, you know what? This little thing in your life is what I want you to give to me right now. And he's putting his finger right on it and he's pressing that little spot. And there's a deep conviction in your heart and you're saying, Lord, I don't know if I'm ready to give that to you. But God says, do you really trust and believe that I'll give you something better? Do you really believe that what I have for you is really for your best interest? And if you do, that's where we're going to find that fulfillment. You want that experience today? Amen. Let's stand and pray together. Precious Father, we're thankful that Jesus came and He was willing to go lower than any man. He was willing to humble Himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Lord, we're thankful that He has given us the great example of humility. Jesus was not weak. He was not frail. He was strong. He was determined. He was self-disciplined. He had control over Himself. And Lord, we can rule and overtake ten cities, but if we can't rule our own spirit, then we're all at loss. We're lost for all. And so, Father, I pray that You would give us a desire for humility, a desire for excellence in Your ideals, a desire to be cooperators, not competitors. And Lord, we pray today that You would remove from us and, and allow us, Lord, to surrender to You anything in our lives that needs to change. Speak to every individual just now, Lord. And Lord, if they're willing to surrender it to You, that You will replace it with something greater, that they will find greater joy, greater happiness through and that they will be able, Lord, to serve you in missionary service. And that would be the greatest thrill of our lives, to see people give their lives to the Lord Jesus. We pray that that will be our experience today and every day, that we would become more and more like Jesus 
until we become just like him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.